study of 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to be looking today at verses 16 through 18, a very brief uh, text, but one that I think that is extremely profound for us, especially as we consider our walk with the Lord. So let us hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Well, this is the word of God for us that we've been looking at, and last week we began looking at this section at the end of this uh, epistle to the Thessalonians that Paul wrote Uh, And we've been uh, digging into some of these final imperatives, these commands that he gives the church there and by extension the church everywhere and the church here at First Presbyterian. Uh, Today we have three more imperatives, three more commands that he gives us and they are to do with the daily walk of the Christian life as we have been mentioning. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Paul states that these three commands are, as he says, God's will for us in Christ Jesus. It's God's will. It's God's will that believers rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Now, hopefully you remember uh, a few, maybe a month or two ago, when we were in chapter 4, I know you probably don't because I asked the men at a prayer breakfast uh, if they remember what I preached on last week. I was trying to make a point and nobody remembered what was, uh, what was preached last week. So a month or two ago, I'm sure you don't remember. But back in uh, chapter 4, verse 3, Paul wrote this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So again, uh, here in 4.3 uh, that we just read and 5.16-18, through Paul mentions the will of God. This is the will of God for you. And I believe that these two statements where Paul is talking about the will of God, they're not unrelated. They're very much related. They're very much saying similar things and they they blend together. And that's what I want to focus in on today uh, to show how these two statements are related very closely to one another. This is the will of God, your sanctification, and it is the will of God that we rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Well, Paul wrote there in chapter 4 that God's will is the sanctification of believers. That's a a big word. Well, sanctification is simply the process of becoming holy. But what does the word holy mean? What does it it mean to become holy? Holy. Well, we might think about being pure. Uh, That's uh, sometimes how people think about holiness. But without going through all the word studies and so forth and boring you with all that, suffice it to say that holy means set apart or devoted. For example, and you see this throughout, especially in the Old Testament, uh, in my uh, daily Bible reading, I've just finished Exodus and I'm in Leviticus and It's all about holiness and and how to be devoted to the Lord. And at the end of Exodus, it describes uh, the building of the tabernacle and the altar and uh, 
uh, the, the incense and the perfumes that are used in worship. And it talks about the Sabbath day. All of these things are described as holy. Take the Sabbath day, for example. It was holy to the Lord. It was a special day. It was a day set apart. It wasn't like the other days of the week. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is holy to the Lord. It's, it's set apart, not to be treated like any, any of the other days. And that goes for all the utensils, substances used in God's worship, the priest's garment, and the priests themselves. They're set apart. They're devoted to a special use, not to be used in anything but the worship of God. They were dedicated, set apart, devoted to God. Christians are called to be themselves holy, set apart, devoted to God. We belong to him and his worship. Anything described as holy should not be made impure by using it for some mundane, secular purpose. So, to be holy means to be devoted to God. So Christians are to be more and more devoted to God. Now, we, we hear that word sanctification, and we generally, if, you're, uh, if you think a lot about sanctification, you probably think about, I want to stop doing wrong things and do more righteous things. And that's true. Sanctification, according to the, our shorter catechism, is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. This agrees exactly with what I'm saying. Being to, devoted to God means that we die to sin and live unto righteousness because sin is rebellion against God. A person cannot be devoted to God and rebellious against God at the same time, right? That doesn't make any sense. Sin is rebellion against God. It's what divides us, uh, divides us from God. And it's when we go against his commands. God wants to be our God, and he wants us to be his people. He wants us to be devoted to him. He doesn't want us to be trapped in sin and in bondage to sin and living in sin. He wants us to be his people. He is devoted to us. That's important to remember. It's not just that he's commanding us to be devoted to him. He's devoted to us first. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his holy son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice of atonement for our sins. See, he is so committed to us and loves us so much, he's so devoted to us, to our being devoted to him, he makes it possible that we can have a relationship with him, that we can in turn be devoted to us. So he desires us to be completely devoted to him. And that's why we were created in the first place, right? You go back to the Garden of Eden. God put Adam and Eve there. And God was in the habit, apparently, of walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And, and Adam had face-to-face, -face, Adam and Eve had face-to-face -face fellowship with God there. But the fall 
separated them from God, separates us from God. But the more devoted we are to the Lord, the more we are living within our intended purpose as human beings. Man's primary purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Uh, catechism question number one. Sin is that barrier that de- that, uh, to that devotion between God and man. It's the barrier. Christ came to remove that barrier. Through Christ, we can have a relationship with God. God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So two If you need a mediator, that means you have two parties who are at odds with one another. And that's certainly true of mankind and God. Jesus Christ mediates between God and man so the two can come together. You think of the Apostle Paul. He left his old life behind. He he was a a Pharisee. He He was a very important person in his day. He writes, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. See, this is what we're talking about here. Knowing the Lord. Knowing Him. Do you know Him? Do you know the Lord? Do you have a relationship with Him? Now, there are many people who profess to be Christians who ignore Him. Or they use Him. Think of it this way. Imagine you are a criminal on death row. You're you're justly condemned for your crimes. You're guilty. Well, Jesus comes along and rescues you from prison. He doesn't just break you out of prison, but he, he pays the penalty for your crimes to free you from your sentence and bondage. He does so because he loves you so much and desires to have you in his family, to come and be with him in his home so that you can be with him forever. Now, would it be right, after he's done all this, to ignore him? Would it be right to be apathetic about the one who has done so much for you? And what kind of relationship would it be if you only interacted with him when you needed something from him? Yet that's how many of us behave toward the Lord. We think, hey, great, I've been delivered from hell. I don't have anything to worry about for my future. So we have what we want, and then otherwise Jesus does not have much to do with our lives. Are we guilty of that, of using the Lord? If we are, we're mistaken. We don't really have a relationship with the Lord. What would it look like on the flip side, to be entirely devoted to him, to be entirely his, to, be, to belong to him, to all that you are and all that you have to be his. Well, it would be a deeply personal, intense, loving devotion to him, a belonging to him that is irreversible, unconditional, without any reserve on our part. 
It means that we would be entirely his so that all we do and possess are his. Well, when we come to chapter 5 of Thessalonians, to the verses we're studying this morning, we see spelled out for us what 4.3 is talking about. What does it look like to be devoted to God, to be entirely his? What would that life look like? So you see, these two things go together because 5.16-18 describes for us what a life of devotion looks like to the Lord. A life of joy, a life of prayer, a life of gratitude. So let's look at these three commands that we have here in chapter 5. And we'll see how they uh, illustrate 4.3, sanctification, but as well how they're interdependent upon one another. All three, they hang together. Well, first, those devoted to God rejoice always. Paul says in Philippians repeatedly to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. Have joy, or as we saw in our confession and and, uh, assurance of pardon, delight in the Lord. You know, it's no mistake that the Bible talks about the relationship between the Lord and his people uh, as a marriage relationship. And you think about uh, your spouse. It's supposed to be a picture of the relationship Christ has with the church, according to Ephesians 5. Well, spouses should enjoy one another. You should delight in your spouse. And when that is occurring, you're, you're getting closer to reflecting the relationship between Christ and his church. Uh, one of joy, enjoying one another, delighting in one another. Coming to know one another in a very deep and personal way. And that's the picture throughout scripture. Back in Hosea. That's all, all that's, that's about. Hosea and Gomer being a picture of the relationship the Lord has with his people. So rejoicing in the Lord means delighting in him, enjoying that relationship, uh, having that relationship as a cornerstone and hallmark of your life. Joy in the Lord. It's, it's according to Tim Keller, joy is the buoyancy that results from the enjoyment of the unchangeable privileges of God. Not just the things that he can do for you, but just his person that you can know your creator, you can walk with him and have a relationship with him. That's what it means to rejoice in the Lord. But how many times do Christians fail to rejoice in the Lord? It's a a problem for all of us. You're probably sitting here going, I'm I'm way off this. Well, you're not alone. You know, we're talking about the ideal. Let's talk about reality. We're probably more like the Ephesians church that was addressed in Revelation chapter 2. He says, I, uh, God says to the Ephesian church, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So see, they were orthodox. They knew their doctrine, and they defended it. I know you are enduring patiently, and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. So they were vigilant to... To, uh, to uphold the truth in the face of suffering, even. But I have this against you, 
that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. See, what is God really after? He's not really after doctrinal perfection, though that's necessary. Uh, He's not really after uh, endurance, though that's necessary. What he really is after is our heart. He really wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to be in that love relationship uh, of, of joy that we see pictured in the relationship between a husband and wife. So rejoicing in the Lord. Do we have a relationship, that kind of closeness with the Lord where we delight in the Lord? Do we enjoy the Lord? I find myself enjoying all kinds of things in my life. And and often it's things that are not the Lord. What does it mean to truly delight in the Lord? What would that look like in your life? Well, Paul goes on. Those devoted to God, pray without ceasing. Secondly, pray without ceasing. Now, does this mean that we are to just go join a monastery and spend all of our days when we're awake in prayer, like some monks attempt to do? Well, obviously that's unrealistic and and not what he's getting at here. What he's saying is don't cease to pray. Don't stop praying. But... Yes, formally pray. Sometimes in your closet, get down on your knees and pray. Regularly do that. But as well, throughout your day, even when you're walking, as you delight in the Lord, as you're walking in Him in relationship, you communicate with Him in prayer. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer uh, is, is offering up our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. So to pray without ceasing is to be in a spirit of dependence upon the Lord, and walking with him and communication with him. How often should you pray? John Newton says this, and I've given you the quote in the outline. Indeed, a person who lives in the exercise of faith and love and who finds by experience that it is good for him to draw nigh unto God will not want to be told how often he must pray any more than how often he must converse with an earthly friend. Those whom we love, we love to be much with. How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Do you love to be with the Lord in prayer? Those whom we love, we love to be much with. You know, you do love to talk to your friends. You do love to talk to your family members. And absence makes the heart grow fonder, as they say. And when, when, for example, our children, many three of them live away from us and we don't see them every day and it's always enjoyable to talk to them and to have them come back home for a visit, short visits. But we enjoy that fellowship together, enjoy one another's presence and what's going on in their lives, and we talk and converse. We, we love to be with them. Do we have that kind of relationship with the Lord? Do we delight in the Lord so much that we enjoy communicating with Him in prayer? If you see that your prayer life is suffering, perhaps like the Ephesians, you've lost your first love. How do you rekindle that? Well, 
How do you rekindle a human relationship? If you've grown estranged from someone, you come back to them and you open up communication. Perhaps you ask forgiveness. Say, I'm sorry for this, that, or the other. And you talk to one another and you listen. How do we do this with the Lord? We come to Him in prayer. We listen to His Word. And we are reminded of who He is and what He's done for us and the glory of how He has devoted Himself to us so much that He would send His only Son to die for us. So those devoted to God, they pray without ceasing. Constant spirit of prayer. Thirdly, finally, those devoted to God give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, this is difficult. Obviously, uh, he's talking to a, a group of people. Well, not obviously, but if you know the context of the Thessalonian church, Paul went there, he preached, he had a good response, the church got started, but then the opponents of the church, the opponents of Christianity, rose up and, and drove him out of town. So he wasn't able to be there very long. And indeed, this, this uh, letter is, is him finally hearing about how things are going in Thessalonica from Timothy, who's, who hung around and went back and, and got a report on how the church was faring in the face of this, this uh, dogged opponent that kept coming after the church. And he's writing in response to this news that he's heard that they're still hanging in there. So he's telling people who are in difficult circumstances, give thanks in all circumstances. And that's obviously something that's difficult to do, to give thanks in all circumstances. But again, those who are close to the Lord trust him. Trust him in all circumstances. Because those who are close to the Lord know the Lord, know his character, that he is not capricious, he's not vindictive, he's loving. Sometimes he does allow us to go into difficult circumstances. We either sang it or said it a while ago, to be refined like gold, getting rid of the dross. Romans 8.28, that's why it's such a favorite verse of so many people because it speaks to this very thing. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work to the good for his people. All things, whatever it might be. God uses those things to make us more holy, more devoted to him. Are you finding in the circumstances you're in does that drive a wedge between you and God? Or is that driving you closer to the Lord? To rely upon Him and rest upon Him and be guided by Him and to give you wisdom as to know what He would have you do in those circumstances. We have the faith, as John Newton says, and I'm giving you again, I'm giving you a quote from him. Everything is necessary that He sins. Nothing can be necessary that He withholds. I think that's a great quote, a great reminder. Everything that he sends into our lives is necessary. He, he doesn't do things willy-nilly, or, or there's no such thing as luck or fate. God is sovereignly in control of everything, even the bad things, even the difficult things. We may not understand it. We may not understand it ever in this life while we go through such difficult circumstances. 
But God is using that if we are his people, devoted to him. Nothing can be necessary that we, he withholds. We, we question, why, Lord, why are you withholding this or that from me? Why am I not being blessed in this way? Well, because God, in his wisdom, sees fit that that's what's in our best interest. God always has our best interest at heart. It's a good reminder. So those devoted to God give thanks in all circumstances. We know, as we walk with him, that he's got our best interest at heart. He's proved it by sending, him, you know, sending his only son to die for us. He's willing to go to the greatest lengths for us. And he's not just going to you know, teach us to swim by throwing us in the water and you know, letting us figure it out ourselves. He's not abandoned us in our circumstances. But he loves us. He cares for us. He wants us to be devoted to him. And often, difficult circumstances are for that very purpose, to cause us to come to him and be closer to him and rely upon him all the more. So today, if you don't have this kind of relationship that I'm talking about, if you've never known it, well, that's why Christ came. Sinners, like we all are, uh, are invited to come without money, without cost, to come into this relationship with the Lord, to know the Lord, to, to have the Lord, not just for cheap fire insurance, saving from hell, but to have a real, vital, living relationship with your Creator. To really hit on exactly why God created humanity in the first place, for fellowship with Him, to enjoy God. You're wondering why your life is all awry? It's because maybe you're not, you don't know the Lord. Call on the Lord. He is near to all who call on Him, and He will not cast anyone out who comes to Him, no matter where you are, no matter how sinful. He's done the work to clean us up through Christ. Perhaps you are a believer, and you found, like the, the Ephesian church, your love has grown cold. Well, just like you would rekindle, like I said before, rekindle a relationship with a, you know, a lost friend. Come to him. Listen to his word regularly. Spend time in prayer with him. Not just throwing up your request, though that's part of it, but just thinking about and praying and worshiping. Worshiping him, adoring him, confessing your sins, giving thanks for your circumstances whatever they may be, and rekindle that relationship again. Come to church. Come to Bible study. Turn off the TV. You know, stop doing things that, that vie for your attention from the Lord. Well, when we die, again, the confession says that we, will, we those who die are made perfect in holiness. I say that Every time I do a funeral, those who die are made, they are immediately made perfect in holiness. They are in the presence of the Lord. And what does that mean? There is no barrier left because sin is done for. There is no barrier left between them and God. They are with the Lord forever. They are there with Him and they are enjoying perfect fellowship with God. They don't have to deal with difficult circumstances anymore or their own sin nature or the temptations of this world. They're just there in the Lord's presence. And one day we will all be in the new heavens and new earth and Christ will be the sun and there will be no tears 
and we will be there with him. We often think about being reunited with loved ones, but the main attraction is the Lord, that we will see face to face, that we will, this relationship that started here on earth will reach its fruition to where we will, we will be lost in love with the Lord. That's something to look forward to. May the Lord help us to know him now so that we can really know him later. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. What an encouragement this is to us. What a challenge it is to us, Lord. We realize that our hearts often grow cold. Our attention is set upon things of this world that, that uh, perhaps draw us away from our relationship with you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to put aside distractions, those things that would keep us from being entirely devoted to you. Lord, we know in our struggle that we will not be perfect. And we will continue to wrestle in this relationship. The Lord may be, we be like Jacob, to not give up until we, until we receive the blessing like he did with the angel of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would give us a determination to know you, to walk with you on a daily basis. And Lord, we pray for those who don't know you today, that even in their hearts right now, that they would cry out to you, ask for your forgiveness and cleansing and and to have a relationship with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.